Hey everyone, it's Brandon from The Real Solution Podcast, just giving you a reminder that even though the month of August is about to end, the information regarding suicide and mental health awareness is not going away. Uh, Remember, should you be under the circumstances that you require some help, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline can be reached at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. And in the world of technology, you can also chat them online and send them text as well. Just a heads up also that this next episode is going to be so heartfelt and so powerful as we discuss the conversations regarding mental health and suicide with a mother who has experienced it firsthand. So we hope that you will take away from this episode so much that goes on behind such a tragic circumstance. But remember that we can do our part in helping our loved ones, our friends, our family, our community when it comes to mental health awareness awareness and suicide prevention as always thank you for listening and we will see you on the next episode of the real solution podcast bye hey guys welcome back to another episode of the real solution podcast hey 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 i am your favorite rule breaker brandon our lovely redhead is here with us and we have an amazing special guest joining us today on this episode cannot wait for you guys to hear what we have to say today now as far as our redhead i you know i don't know if y'all want to talk to her but i it's you they have a problem with i i don't believe you (laughs) i'm the favorite i have already told you this okay my voice okay it's listen i Yes, you are your number one fan. I'm aware. (laughs) I'm going to give you an example. You know how, you you know, from Tiger King and she goes, hey, all you cool cats and kids. (laughs) See, that's you sure did not bring the Tiger King into my world again. (laughs) It's Carol Baskin here at the Big Cat Rescue. (laughs) Listen, you're so right. Listen, my voice, I'm telling you, that's, you know, you just that just like them people flock to her. That's they flock to me because of my voice. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's not why that's not why your parole officer flocks to you listen i told you i have let that is the old me <laughs> i don't do that no more and we're joking okay i i'm too pretty for prison i, I am but I, hey i told you i'm too pretty for prison i can't go there um and Bubba i can't it's a boyfriend i can't miss brunch hello we've talked about this well, we just we just wire ahead. We say, you know, Brandon will behave as long as you give him brunch. I, I mean, that <laughs> that might work. Listen, guys, we are joined today by the lovely Miss Keisha Payton. Hi, Keisha. Hey, how are you guys? <laughs> hey, we're good. How are you? I am great. Thanks for having me today. Yes, we are so excited to have you. Keisha is going to join us today with this awesome conversation, which I know you guys are ready for, as always. But before we begin, let's have a little... What do you call this? Icebreaker. I forgot just that fast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and you're in charge. I might have had, <laughs> I might have spiked my tea today. Hey, let it go. <laughs> um, so we're going to do a little icebreaker. So this game is called One Gotta Go. Um, Bye. One, <laughs> listen, that would be, listen, me and Keisha can do it on our own. It's okay. <laughs> I thought this was first. I was first. You were not. You're wow. out. You know what? <laughs> 
I'm not even going to respond to that. Because <laughs> you know I won. <laughs> <laughs> this game is called One Gotta Go. You can check it out at onegottago.com. Um, I have found this game recently. You know, the the technology is always watching you. So the technology was watching me and showed me the game. So I ended up buying it. Um, but anyways... <laughs> You're such an easy sucker. I'm telling you. I mean, I thought it would be great for us. So here's how it works. I'm either actually going to say there's there's a couple ways you can play this game. It's very flexible. So I'm either going to say one got to go or one got to stay. I'm going to give you four options and you're going to give me the option that you choose that must go or the one that must stay. Um, it's going to be four different options. So it's going to be um, you giving me your answer and then you tell me. Tell me why. And we'll go from there. Um, there is a point system to this, but we're not doing this for points. We're doing this for fun. So let's get it rolling. because you're afraid you'll lose. I, first of all, I never <laughs> lose. Uh, <laughs> I win. I'm scared of Mike because I don't even know how this game's played yet. Oh, it's very oh, easy. don't feel alone. He just sprung it on me too. Oh, I definitely did. Yeah. That's how I roll. But okay, good. Is, so if you don't know and I don't know, it's okay then. Listen. That's why he's got to go. Keisha and I can do this show alone wow okay so the first one we're gonna jump this off with a bang because this is the real solution so let's see what you gotta say one gotta go religious freedom a guns b vaccines c animal rights d C gotta go. <laughs> C you gotta go. C you gotta go. C the vaccines. Vaccines gotta go. Yep. <laughs> you ain't are taking you, my gun. No. Nope. Damn well not taking my religion. Nope. And I forget what the fourth one was. The animal rights. <laughs> I love animals. Nope. You ain't taking yep. them rights away either. <laughs> are you anti vaccines? Can go. Vaccines are man made. They can go. Oh, and especially especially like they're rushing this COVID one. I, oh, I, I, you know what? They will have to. <laughs> find me put me in jail they will not be putting no chip in me no vaccine i'm sorry that's i'll me. be the one protesting that <laughs> i'll be right there too I, oh, are I'm you telling are you, you anti-vaxxers i'm just curious my no. kids have all been vaccinated but they're vaccines that have been proven to mm -hmm. be mostly i'm not saying there's not you know some people who've had adverse effects with it but for the mm -hmm. most part they are safe and they have gotten rid of some really nasty diseases I but hear on the you. other spectrum, a lot of them, um, I will speak on them because I have a lot of friends who have children with autism and I am, I had all my children vaccinated, but when I started seeing the spectrum of that and just different things, and I've had moms look me dead in my face and tell me my child didn't act different until they got that shot. And I was like, wow, you know, it's different for everybody. So sometimes yeah. you can be pro and sometimes you can be no. And I think you should have a choice now whether to not vaccinate your child if you don't want to for whatever reason. I mean, because sometimes like back in the older days, they forced vaccines on people that they didn't need and it killed a lot of them. Exactly. Yes, Keisha, and, speak the truth. I love oh, it. Oh, I do. I mean, I speak the <laughs> truth and I'm not the most educated person. And I'm not going to lie about that. I'm not the most educated person and I won't speak on it unless I really know about it. But I listen to old people. I sit a lot around a lot, a lot of people that are older than me and I listen to what they talk about. 
I know. Unfortunately, I do the same with that one over there, child. I don't know what it's, made I mean, me. it's good. It's it's I just, wisdom. I think it's she knowledge. Had, I think she had like that little kryptonite energy that like student drug me closer. I was like, Man, Why I is think this what it is is when you're at a certain age and you're just a generation, you just grew up in a different time. You've seen things differently. You learn things differently. And when you've seen how the world worked back then and how it's working now. I mean, oh, I learned yeah. a lot of things today about life that I am just sick to my stomach about. You're not wrong, 100%. I am 26, and I I see everything that you're talking about. Don't worry. My oldest son, is he'll be, he's just turned 26, uh, 25, and 26, and Nichols will be 25 this week. And my son, the 26-year-old, has got an old soul. Leonard Skinner is his oh, go-to. Yeah, like he, Tyler Childress, like my son listens oh, to yes. nothing but 105.9, 104.5. Oh, like he I is an old some, soul. I love me some Jimi Hendrix. Oh, oh, yes. So does he. Blake picked up a guitar, I believe it was 2017, and started playing by just teaching himself. YouTube That's how videos. you gotta do it. Mm-hmm. Listen, we but it's it. just like when you raise kids from an old school perspective and you're raised on morals and values in a different way and you're actually like raised and just not I'm sorry I'm not all into technology I don't believe in giving kids iPads and everything to contain them I believe interacting social acting talking to them playing with them put them out there in the yard let them play but Technology is what's taking over the world, I think. You know, the the children don't play in enough dirt. I love playing outside. I used to climb hey, my the trees granddaughter, and everything. I love that my son has my granddaughter. She'll, she'll be six in October. I love that he has her a dirt bike, a four-wheeler, a go-kart. And I love that her favorite color is blue and that she could be the biggest tomboy ever. And I'll love her just the same because she does not mind getting dirty. I love it. I love it that she doesn't mind. She's not one of those kids that, you know, you let her walk around in brand new clothes. You can guarantee you by the end of the day, they're going to be ruined. And it's okay. We got some shout. We know how to get some awesome and get it out. <laughs> yeah, but it's like commercials. <laughs> yeah, it's like I love that she can get out there and play in the dirt and not be scared to get her hands dirty and not be scared to be rough. She was at my store one day and some little boy pushed her down and she come inside and she's like, "It's okay, me. I was ready to beat up a six year old over her." I was like, "Oh no, you're not pushing down my granddaughter." I come in there and got him correctly. I was like, "Oh no, you don't touch her." I said, "Bailey, he pushes you again. You better punch him straight in the nose." I said. This is her Mima telling you right now, you ever touch her again, she's going to punch you straight in the nose. You know, yes. I mean, people don't have those kind of talks those day, these days. So I, I completely hear you. I mean, I, my, our parents used to tell us that, you know, Man. you don't you don't just let Man. anybody take advantage of you. You stand up for yourself. So that's a I whole different can of worms. <laughs> uh, me too. I was bullied out of my education. So I take this serious. I was bullied so bad. I did not get to go to ninth grade. Like I was bullied wow. so bad. They tore my mailbox down. They egged our house. They tried to jump me and my cousin. Like it was bad. Like it, it, it to the point that when I got pregnant and was ready to go to high school, my mom was like, no, they'll end up pushing you down the steps and you'll lose that baby. We will definitely have to have some conversations <laughs> Oh, yes. Um, Okay, let's do another one. So let's do a one got to stay for this one. One got to stay. A, family functions. B, birthday parties. C, wedding receptions. Or D, guys slash ladies night out. (laughs) Which one has to stay? And the rest go? (laughs) Yep. 
Family. I, 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 that's a tough one, but I'm going to have to go with family functions. <laughs> ladies night and girls night, ladies night, and men's night. I think that's just stirring for trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be real. It, I'm can old be, it can definitely be trouble. And I can have a birthday party during a family function. Exactly. Mm. Like you can, you can, I, so that's what I was listening. You can kind of tie those three in, but. Yeah, I wouldn't choose wedding receptions because, you know, the wedding reception can need to be really good or really awkward. Yeah. Um, I don't go out with the bros enough to say keep bros night out. So, you know, I probably do birthday parties. I, my friends and I like love birthdays, love birthdays. I mean, we go all out dinner, the gifts, the surprises. Oh, honey, I, I show love. up with a bag. I can show, we showed up at the club one night for my friends, my daughter's, my friend's daughter's 21st birthday. And I literally had a birthday party in a gift bag. She walked to the bathroom, come back. I had helium balloons, a table, all the setup streamers at a bar in <laughs> Lebanon, the whole, like a club, everybody walked by. They's like, what's going on? What happened? <laughs> she come back. She was like, what? I was like, happy 21st birthday. I am that mom. I am. Oh, birthdays. I take serious. Like <laughs> that's the thing. I go all out for it. Um, we go okay. all out. Let's do one more. Um, let's see here because some of these are like really fun and some of them are not fun like this one's about star wars and i'm just not there <laughs> i can't do it um okay let's do this one one gotta go they're movies die hard jurassic park independence day or first blood i'm be honest with you, i don't know i well i know three of them i don't know first blood i don't know first blood i don't know first blood, I'm gonna go so i would say first blood gotta go well you know that's rambo I don't know what that's that is. Tough. Yeah, Rambo that's the fan. that's Sylvester Stallone. Stallone, yeah. That's no, he was tough, a little yeah. bit before my time. So oh, I got to retract on that. I'm, <laughs> I'm a Stallone <laughs> fan. I grew up on the Eye of the Tiger. Uh, I mean, I heard the song, but <laughs> I was nine years old. I know all about the Eye of the Tiger. So, what was the first one again? Um. Oh wait, Die oh, Hard. I got it. Oh yeah, Die Hard. Yeah, Die Hard, Jurassic Park, Independence Day, or First Blood. I like Die Hard too because I like him. <laughs> I love this man. I can't too. even think of his name. Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Uh, Bruce Willis. That mm -hmm. I did know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Wow. I don't know. All right. I'm. A, I even even though I said this is the last one, I got another one. This will be real good. This will be real good. One gotta stay. Let's do another. One gotta stay. Deodorant, toothpaste, soap, or toilet paper. Which one has to stay? Uh, <laughs> toothpaste. I, listen, I was thinking the same thing. Toothpaste. Yeah, I know I'm big on deodorant, though. I you, so wild thing I about can splash me. Splash some baking soda on. There. Wild thing yeah, about I me. Take a rag and wash my teeth off. I think. I could, mm. I can't give up the the toothpaste in my breath. I think yeah. that'll kill a move for anything. But I gave up deodorant two years ago. So really? that's yeah. For I, it was just my own personal decision and some research I had found out about deodorant and some of its ingredients, and so that's why I was like, I can give that up. Easily. Now you know why we record him in Atlanta and me in. Wow! Nashville. Wow! <laughs> You're going I am to just get kidding. fired. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Gross. I ain't it though. Listen, just daggers. That's how evil. You know what? He didn't say he didn't use an alternative solution. He just said he don't use deodorant. Nope, not at all. 
I do have now. I do have underarm wipes. You know, obviously, if like if I'm ever busy, like and I'm like, all right, bro, like I clearly am perspiring or something. But yep, I gave that up. It'd be two years. Uh, two years in September. No, and I've been around him. Um, he he, I, I guess your body kind of gets used to it. Had to change, well. yeah. Had to change my diet. Had, what you put into your body goes into it, and I, I've changed the health yep. things. But I did for about the first, definitely around the first six to eight months. I asked people, you know, just to double check, including her. I was like, you know, do you smell me? And I, <laughs> they'd be like, no, you smell fine. And then I would actually tell them, I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm on this journey right now, so I'm just checking. Yeah, after I get up off the floor. <laughs> You know what? I'm going to end your session. How about that? That's what I'm gonna do. Well, I gave, I'm 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 keeping I'm, I'm keeping toothpaste. <laughs> That's mine. Um, any final ones? Any final calls? Yeah, I'm keeping my options open. <laughs> I love it. Well, ladies, thanks for playing One Gotta Go with me. Remember, guys, you can check out One Gotta Go at onegottago.com. It's a really fun game. We are social distancing, so they do have a digital edition, which is what I just used. But I can't help myself and got physical decks ordered as well. So check them out. Um, also, that was not an ad. So if they ever hear this, there it was free. So you're welcome. It was branded. <laughs> Carol had nothing in it. I mean, they're going to like the <laughs> announcement. They're going to be like, oh, I'm, I'm going to reach out. I'm like, hey, I need some sponsorships for that. <laughs> Good. Um, so let's get to the root of things. We are here um, with Keisha specifically because we want to discuss with you guys the topics centered around this month's PSA, which if you've heard our last couple episodes, you've heard our PSA for the month of August, um, which we are discussing mental health and suicide prevention. Um, specifically this month, our PSA caters to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Um, um, so we hope you guys have heard those. And of course, um, if you need any resources regarding them, we are more than happy to get you in the right direction. Um, but we have Keisha joining us today. Again, Keisha, thank you so much for being with us. Um, we actually have you here because this is something that you have experienced firsthand recently. And that's correct. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, so if you thank don't you for having me. Yeah, of course. So if you don't mind, um, can you um, lead us into why this topic is near and dear to you? OK, um, well, first of all, mental health is very near and dear to me. I don't think anybody in today's society is not suffering with some type of mental health some type of issue, some type of scar, something from whether it could be childhood. I mean, just anything could bother anybody. So with me, mental health has been an issue for me. Um, as I'd mentioned earlier, I was bullied really bad when I was younger. Um, typical stuff back that time in the day, uh, but it was really bad to where we had to go and press charges and take out things because they had egged my house, tore our mailbox down, tried to jump me on several occasions. I had been held back a few times. So over the summer, I was like 15, 16 years old. Well, I had gotten pregnant and it was time to go to high school. And my mom was like, no, can't send you to high school. I'm scared something's going to happen. So that was kind of defeating. You know, here I was ready to go to high school. I'm pregnant. You know, I decided just that I was going to keep my child, do what I had to do. 
but I wanted to go to school. I didn't get the option. So even before that, just from being bullied, I had been in Vanderbilt psychiatric ward when I was 14. I turned 15 inside of there. I spent my 15th birthday inside of a psychiatric ward. Um, just being depressed, um, just after someone being bullied for so long, you know, and I didn't have the greatest childhood growing up. My mom and dad divorced when I was five. That was really hard. That was a lot of conflict. Um, I remember my mom putting us in counseling from the time I was six years old. Me and my brother were both in counseling. Um, and I have been in counseling for a long time. So mental health has always been something very near and dear to me. Um, throughout the time I had my first kid when I was 16. I was then married before the time I was 18. I had my second kid. Um, then I had my third kid by the time I was 21. By the time I was 22, I had four kids, was married, was in a very bad situation. Um, I was in domestic violence for pretty much seven years. And that, of course, puts a lot of mental health on you when you have someone that's already mentally unstable. So by the time I was 22, I was diagnosed as bipolar with major depression with post-traumatic stress syndrome. And the list goes on. I was then started on medication. I took medication from the time I was 22 to up until about. I'd say a year ago, about a year, about almost two years ago, I stopped taking medicine and just tried to go a different route. Um, so I've always been affected by mental health. Um, but the reason that brings me here, here recently to this podcast is um, Carol had reached out to me because just recently on June 12th, um, I lost my youngest son to suicide. Hmm. He was 21 years old. He had just turned 21, March 19th. Um, so it was, it wasn't, I'm not going to say it was a surprise to us. It, it was it's a surprise to anybody when it happens. Did we know Tyler struggled with depression? Yes. Did we know Tyler had these thoughts? Yes. Just like any family, we reached out, we questioned, we talked. Him and my daughter were so close. They had an apartment together. They lived together. Um, they had just moved in the apartment May 7th. We were all such a close-knit family. But from the time Tyler was little, <clears throat> while I was pregnant, suffering through domestic violence and stress and everything, they told me that Tyler suffered a suffered from a post-traumatic, it's not even how they worded it, but from the time Tyler was three years old to he was five years old, entered into, 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 into kindergarten, he went to a therapeutic preschool at D.D. Wallace. And as soon as I got him potty trained, they accepted him into the program. There was an article done about Tyler when he was five years old by the Tennessean of him being the most advanced child to come through that program, to come through with such emotional, traumatic stress, just such an emotional child. Tyler cried all the time as a baby. He just was always crying, always upset. 
And I just figured it was for me and I had passed it on to him. And it was just, it was, it was something that I, I, I struggled with for a long time that, you know, it was my fault. It was my fault. He went through that preschool. They come out and did an article about him. He graduated, went into kindergarten, normal kid, just they had diagnosed Tyler with ADHD, but just like that, I was one of those moms. I didn't believe in putting my kids on medicine. I knew what I had been through and what I had done. And they had told me that Tyler was hyperactive, ADHD. I knew it ran in the family. His father was the same way. So I knew what to expect. I knew what to deal with. Um, we just, as a family, church, prayed over it, dealt with it. No medication, no none of that. Yeah. So we always knew that Tyler struggle with depression and different things, but he just, you know, typical 21 year old kid trying to make it like any kid struggling to make over $10 an hour, $12 an hour, anywhere. He come out of the high school. He's like, mom, I do not want to go to college, but he went straight to work. Like no problem, but he just didn't. He's just one of the kids. None of my boys did. They didn't want to go to college. Kayleen, different story. So it was just something that I didn't force on him. But did I know he was depressed and struggled? Yeah. We all as a family reached out to him, talked to him. We just always thought we had that next time, that next conversation. We just never, ever, ever thought we would get that phone call that would change our life. Like we never seen that coming. So it's been it's two a, months since that yes, happened. Today has been two months. It's been two months since that happened. Um, the, I'd like to know how you were feeling uh, when you got that phone call. Um, what what was your family, if anyone else was notified? Um, oh, yes. <laughs> um, just because of um, at, at that point, you then have to deal with your own mental health regarding oh, yes. what took place here and, and, and the family as well. What what can you tell me about that experience? Well, Tyler was at home when it happened. Um, and um, at 11.03 that night, I was driving home. I had been at my, my middle son's house, Nick's. He lives in Alexandria. I live in Smithville, Tennessee. So I'm exactly about an hour and 15 minutes from their house. And I will never in my life ever forget this moment. Blake was at home. I had just left Nick's house. Nick had just FaceTimed Tyler at 930 that night. They had talked, cut up, carried on. Nick comes in the house. Me and him talk. I'm like, okay, buddy, I leave. I'm heading home. I'm sitting at the red at the red light in Smithville right there by quick and easy. And I can see my store where I live. And my ex-husband calls me and he says, Keisha, where are you at? And I'm like, I'm on the way home. He's like, Tyler shot himself and he's screaming and crying. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, no way, no way. And and I'm like, and at that point, I couldn't even tell you when the light turned green, when it didn't. I know it probably took me six or seven minutes to get from the red light to my store and it's literally a three second drive uh immediately the moment he told me and how my ex-husband knew tyler's father um he was on facetime with him so my ex-husband's seen everything wow oh my goodness 
Yeah. Um, that's the first time we've really shared it with anybody. Um, but Jason was on the phone with him. He had just talked to him and he's like, dad, FaceTime me, FaceTime me. And he said, Tyler FaceTimed him. And, um, he said, Keisha, he was just joking and cutting up. And he said, um, would it hurt if I cut myself? Jason's like, what, what's going on, son? And he just said, Keisha, I just saw a look in his eye I'd never seen. And Tyler shot himself right there in front of him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's a phone call you never want to get, but I can tell you for me as a mother, I know a door in my heart shut. There was a part of my heart that I felt just shut immediately. Like it, it's, it's, it's an experience I could not even explain if I wanted to. It was like a piece of me just literally just shut off. And like I said in the beginning, I was real big at advocating to help homeless and do different things. And as soon as I got the phone call about him, I couldn't give Jason the address because I couldn't think straight. I couldn't get out of my car to go inside um, to get Dylan, who is a child that lives with me. He's part of the family to drive me down there because there's no way. I mean, I was screaming and crying. I couldn't even think straight. I couldn't even get the key out of the car to get in the door. I was standing there beating on the door, screaming for Dylan. And by the time I got the door open, I'm just screaming, Tyler's, Tyler's gone. Tyler shot himself. And the whole time I'm still trying to call Tyler's phone. I'm just hanging up and I immediately hung up and I called my daughter. And it's probably a phone call that I wished I would have never made. Um, I, as a mother, probably regret that more than anything. I should have called his older brother. But why, I knew why do Kaylee, you regret calling her? Because Kaylee had to walk in the bathroom and find him. Mm. So um, I was in disbelief that it had happened. I thought maybe he had just hurt himself and couldn't answer his phone. I was in such disbelief that it had happened, that, you know, this had happened, that it had really happened, that I kept trying to call his phone. I called his phone 17 times. Since him and Kaylee lived together, I knew Kaylee had a key to the apartment and she worked at Toots West, which was exactly three minutes from their apartment. So I knew she was literally right around the corner from him. And I was like, Kaylee, you got to leave work. You got to leave work. And she's like, Mom, I can't. We're closed. And I was like, Kaylee, Tyler has shot himself. And I was just screaming and crying. And she's like, oh, my God, Mom, no. So she tries to FaceTime him. And as soon as she tries to FaceTime him, she knew when he didn't answer. And so she just, two friends, thankfully. I am so thankful for the two people that left work with her. And I am forever sorry for them because they had to walk in that bathroom with her. And they will never be the same again. But thank, I'm thankful for them because they walked in that bathroom and they pulled Kaylee Anna out of there because she wasn't going to leave him. Wow. And I am thankful that it took me an hour longer to get there because by the time I got there, they had already um, taken him away from the scene. So as I'm pulling in the parking lot, you know, a morgue van when you see it. I literally tried to beat my way out of the back seat 
But when I got there and I got to my son, he told me, he said, mom, it's not something you wanted to see. He's like, just be thankful. The next time I saw my son, he looked beautiful. I I say that I'm very thankful that I didn't get to the apartment. I'm very thankful for a lot of things that happened. But one of the things that I do regret, and I know I can't take it back, and I know it everything happens for a reason. It's just the way it was supposed to happen. But her having to see him the way she did just will haunt me forever to know that that's what she had to go through. You know, that's, a, that's an understanding feeling. You know, we often in, in life try to keep others from seeing pain. Mm-hmm. Um, that Especially you know, our kids. Oh, yes. You know, and I, you know, I'm not a parent, but my mother has expressed that to me. She was like, I, we always want to keep you from seeing certain levels of pain or certain levels of hurt. So that's a mm-hmm. that's a natural feeling that you that you have. Um, and it's not something that we should be ashamed of. We, we always want to protect people. I have friends Amen. now that I, I want to protect them. There are They are grown people. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I feel this sense of urgency to keep them from things or keep them away from ideologies to protect them. So that's very natural yep. and normal for, for you to feel. Um, Especially you know, as a mom. Oh, yeah. And that's just like Carol said, as a mom, <laughs> Me as a single mom, I was a single mom their whole life. Their dad went to prison when Tyler was six months old and Blake was five. Um, So I've raised them pretty much their whole life. Jason had just pretty much come back around and was around them. And Tyler and Jason were pretty much really close. I mean, it's it's one of those things. There was kind of an issue between me and him, but it's just one of those things you got to let go. Tyler loved his father. He wanted him to be a part of his life. He's just that little boy that craved a father his whole life and he never had it. And then him and Jason got close in his later years. And I'm thankful for that because, you know, Tyler got to kind of put a kind of put a rest to that hurt and that wanting of a little boy wanting his father. And that's why I say I read an article just two days ago, this beautiful mom that has went through the same thing I went through. She went through it a year ago and her son was only 19, but she wrote an article on Facebook and it was, and it says suicide did not take her son. Depression did. And when I was reading her story, it was like she was telling my story because that's what happened. What do you think that means? Huh? What do you think that means? Suicide did not that, take her child. Depression did. Suicide to me is a split second decision. And I have heard because I have suffered from it myself and I have battled with it and I have thought about it and I have never. I'm not going to say brave enough because you do have to be brave or just that tired to take your own life because I've been there and I have not pulled the trigger and I have not done that. So whether it's just not my time, that's just not my story, and that's just not what's supposed to happen, I know what it's like to be where Tyler was. And maybe God sent me somebody at that moment to not let me do it or to not let it happen. But I have been where my son was. So I know how he feels. I know how he felt at that moment. And what what she said about she doesn't think that suicide took her son. Depression did because depression is something you battle with. And it's a battle of the mind. It's whether you choose to be happy or sad. And everybody's like, oh, it's a choice. I don't really think it's a choice for some people. And I know it's not a choice for me at sometimes because I've had tests done. I've had every 
some people just don't produce enough serotonin in their brain to make them happy. They just don't have what it takes to make them happy every day. And that's where real mental health comes in at. And when she explained her story, she's like, suicide is a split second, but depression is what pushes you to that moment. If you're not, I mean, a normal happy person just doesn't take their life. They don't just say, Oh, you know, I'm just going to take my life. It's something that builds up to that moment. So that's where she expressed that it wasn't suicide that took her child. That's what ended his life. But what took his life was depression that he battled when you just feel like you can no longer battle your mind. And that's what we just kept trying to wrap our mind around with Tyler is just like, we just, we just kept trying to express that there's always a brighter day, man. Days are going to be bad. Days are going to be hard. They're going to be long, but there's just always going to be a better day. Yeah. that And, and it, you know what? I wanted to segue into that because you mentioned, um, you know, you, you knew he battled depression. Um, you know, of course, being just a, a young millennial in this day and age, um, you know, what kind of signs or if any, did you guys have, you know, how did you guys speak to him? Um, how would those interactions go? Because, um, you know, especially in, in groups of friends and even though you may be his mom and, his, and, and the family, you know, we often check on people. You know, how you doing? You doing OK? But do we really check on them? Do we ask them to the nitty gritty, like what's going on with you right now? Um, how are your emotions at this time? Is there something that you're facing that you don't understand? Like, do we really ask? So did you guys have any of those experiences at all? Or? Oh, oh, yes. Well, this is like I said, everybody, you know, constantly says, oh, my God, did you guys not talk to him? You know, did, he, did you not reach out to him? Uh, uh, Yeah, we were a tight, close knit family like we done everything together. I was that mom. That I was in your business. I knew what you was doing, when you was doing, how you was doing it, where you was. Do- you couldn't. Nothing got past me. Like I was that drill sergeant mom. We had those talks. And like I said, her, her son used to work for me. Yeah. And whenever he whenever he was in trouble at the store, don't tell my mom. <laughs> that. My son have told the cops. Don't call my mama. Do whatever you got to do to us, but don't call my mama. <laughs> whatever you do, what whatever she going to do is way worse than whatever you worse. can do to us. Yeah, I'm saying. And so, you know, it wasn't that, you know, we didn't have those talks. My daughter, we had just taken that gun away from him a month ago. And he had no idea. My daughter had had a conversation with him and she felt scared. So she had took the gun away from him. I argued with him about that gun. We fought and argued. And his excuse to me was, I'm 21 years old. I can do what I want. And I need a gun to protect my home. I said, boy, you live in a gated community in Blackman. What do you know about (laughs) protecting your home with a gun? And so I felt bad because our last argument, like, really argument was over that gun through a text message. And when I found out how much he paid for it, I was like, Oh Lord Jesus, I'm going to choke you. I'm really going to choke you. And so it was already to the point to where we had had those conversations. His dad had had those conversations with him. We had talked to him. Tyler had just went through a heartbreak and it was just one of those things. It was just like, the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm. He had been broken for so many things for so long. And he was just so, 
he loved this little girl so much. Like, and they went through their things. They went back and forth. But my son, and that was a hard thing because when he passed, they were not together. And I knew he mourned her. I knew he just grieved and just wanted to be with her. And I knew how much he loved her. And so that was a, you know, a sticky situation for us because we were always like, oh, God, you know, you're going to be all right, Tyler. It's okay. And he'd be like, no, man, I love her. I miss her. And I'm like, come on, dude. You were not even 21. You're going to get your heart broke 10 more times. I said, dude, look, at 21, I was married to your daddy. What do you think, dude? Come on. It, life gets better. I promise you. Look at me. Like, I'm 43. Things are better. And he was just like, no. So we knew it wasn't like we weren't that family that didn't conversate, that didn't talk about it. Um, the honest truth, and I'm going to be as real as I can with you. Um, and this is what bothers me. I was two days too late. Tyler's dog was at the house. Tyler had a pit bull that he loved. And he needed money to bring that dog to the house. He had to pay this huge deposit and money to bring that dog to the house. So my lead way into his depression and to talk. And I was like, oh, I was like, well, if you need $500, let me have that gun for a while. He's like, why? You just can't let me borrow $500? I was like, I can. I said, or you can let me hold that gun. And I said, you know, whatever, just, you know, be like pawning to do. Just let me have it. I was like, I'll hold it for a while. I was like, you don't need it. You're safe. You got a good home. He was like, oh, okay, mom. So this was Friday. I was supposed to be at his house. He'd already went and picked his pit bull up Friday. This is how I can say I know my son did not end his life. Something came over him. This is how I can say suicide is a split second decision. My son was happy. He had a great day at work. He was getting paid the next day. He had just went and picked his dog up. He had his dog at the apartment. I was coming down Sunday to give him $500. I was going to take that gun away from the house. And we were going to sit down and have a conversation with him about things that were going on in his life, things that were stressing him, areas that we needed to touch on as a family that we needed to talk about. I just wanted the gun away from the house so I didn't have to worry about if he ever got depressed or, if, you know, that point. So me as a mother, I struggle with I was two days too late. Yeah. It's like what you tried to protect him from. Yes, it It's happens. just like that protective shield. And I'm like, I was two days too late. So this is when I go back to God is in control of everything. He yeah. makes everything happen. It doesn't matter of my will, my way. He showed me in that moment. It's not about you, Keisha. It's about me and what I'm going to do. And it's about the purpose that I have for his life. And my grandmother always told me from the time he was born, that child has a purpose, Keisha. I don't know what it is. He is the only child I had with blonde hair and blue eyes. I'm brown hair and brown eyes. The rest of my kids have brown hair, brown eyes. His daddy is blonde hair and blue eyed, but I wasn't. And God gave me a blonde hair. And we always called Tyler our blue eyed angel. That was just, and, but I just never as a mother thought he would become my angel at this point. But, you know, that's the struggle that I go through right now is I was two days too late making it down there to get that. And I've, I've discussed that with my family. They're like, no, mom, you can't look at it that way. You can't, you can't beat yourself up over that. But as a mom, you do because you just want to protect your child. But just like my ex-husband shared with me, Keisha, 
That wasn't Tyler's eyes. He said the look in his eyes was so different. He said it's as if like something came over him and he was just not even himself. He said, and when it happened, he said, I just, I didn't know what, I mean, and, and for me, Jason's not been the greatest father ever, but I would not wish that on nobody, especially him. Right. For Tyler to call him and for it to happen in front of him, it has completely wrecked his world. And I don't wish that. And, you know, people would say, oh, that's your worst enemy. No, that's my child's father. Yeah. We may not have the greatest history, but we have been by each other's side. When his mother passed away in 2014, I stayed in a hospital bed beside his mom and him for 30 days. And I didn't even like him, but I still stood by his side and his mother's side because they had nobody and she was in hospice and she was passing away. And me, that's my kid's grandmother. Who would I not be to stand up and show them the same love, compassion and grace that they would do me? So it's just, you know. Yeah, you're you're touching on a lot of a lot of great things there. Um, I, I just wanted to point that out to you. I mean, you really are, because that shows just how deeper this kind of conversation is it's not just surface level there's a lot of things oh, that yes. impacts in someone's life so i just wanted to share that with you oh when i can say impact like i think there was over almost 300 people at tyler's funeral wow um Amazing. my children were very loved children um very loved how does that make you feel i was as a very mother shocked to make that, huh? to, how does that make you feel as a mother to know that your as a children mother, are that loved you know because i think you know just from my own personal experience i've i've had to look at my mother as as people would come and flock to her and tell her about her son and all the quality qualities that they would see in me and that's it's not a boasting but i'm just i'm curious as to know just from your perspective as a mother what what does that tell you what does that show you about all all these people showing up in support of your child or any in any of your children (laughs) let me just share this piece with you um i am no wealthy person by any means and this is just to show you how well loved my family is i have never seen this happen in the entire history of anybody i've been around this is not our first walk with death um in 2015 we lost daniel winters who was a wrestler that was part of my was one of my kids friends um we lost a wrestler and if your kid wrestled and you were in the wrestling community you were all bonded together as a wrestling family it didn't matter what school you wrestled with if something happened to a child you band together as a family so when blackman lost daniel winters we all band together well a couple months later in september we lost tyler's best friend to not suicide but to an accidental gunshot to the head and the day we lost mason luke is the day I lost a part of my son. That is where, that is a part I wanted to share. I wanted to bring that in slowly. Um, Mason Luke passed away in 2015, and that is where Tyler's depression started. Mm. That is where it stemmed from, it spiraled from. That's where it just, when we lost Mason, that was Tyler's, that was his brother. Like, he was just like a fifth kid. He was around. They bonded. They had a connection. So when Mason passed away, Tyler 
was like Mama Luke, Mason's mom, that was Tyler's second mom. He clung to her. He went and took care of Mason's mom. He said, that's what Mason would want me to do, mom. And I was like, oh, yes. When her son passed away, I didn't even really know her. Um, she was just a mom on the wrestling team. I'd been around her a little bit. She'd been to the house. I'd been to her house briefly. Um, we'd seen each other at wrestling banquets. Our kids loved each other. But, you know, when your kids are at that age, the parents don't really too much get involved. It's just the teenagers, you know, they do all the talking. And Tyler was 15, 16 years old. That was on him. But when his when she lost her son, I went and as the friend, my son honored her as a second mother. So I went as a friend and I never let that woman enter that house again. I went and packed up every article she had. Me and a team of other people went and moved her completely out of the house. Um, we got her house sold. And I, Melanie has been my strongest supporter through all of this because she knows exactly what I'm walking through. Because Tyler was at her house the Wednesday before it happened. Tyler was supposed to be at her house for dinner that Saturday night. They were very close. Her and her and Tyler were like, oh, they were so close. I mean, it, and I was so thankful for that because it, it, it just goes to show the love Tyler had. But the whole point of getting to all this was when Tyler passed away, I was in no shape of paying for a funeral whatsoever to just show the impact and the love that was for Tyler. When this first happened, everybody has been out of work for COVID. I own a liquidation store, $5 dig deals and liquidation in Smithville. And when Tyler passed away, I had to close. Like I couldn't, couldn't stay open. Like I closed down immediately that day. Well, before that COVID had shut me down and I had been only open for a month. So I didn't have the money to bury my child. So my oldest son had got up that Saturday morning and he said, mom, he said, um, I don't know much about GoFundMe, he said, uh, but would you please let me set up a GoFundMe? And I was like, no, Blake, please, let's don't do that. Let's just go to the funeral home and let me finance it and let me go sell my store out and we'll pay for this. He said, no, mom. He said, I think you need to let me help you. So my oldest son, Blake, who's 26, knows nothing about Facebook, don't even have one, would never ask anybody for a dime. He would rather work his hands off and... I mean, he would work his hands off for anything before he asked anybody. So he got on there and he created a GoFundMe within, we, you know, I said, only ask for 10,000. You know, I don't even know how much a funeral costs, but don't make it no outrageous amount. Blake, I really don't like asking people. And I'm the same way. I'm very humble. I will go without before I ask you for anything. So with that being said, he started to go fund me and he come downstairs about an hour later. He's like, mom, I think this might work. He's like, you know, we're at $2,500. And I was like, great, Blake, anything helps. Just anything helps to get this started. He come back down the stairs another hour later. He said, oh my God, mom, we are at $10,000 already. I was floored. I couldn't even believe it. By the end of the day, not even into the next day, $17,000 had been raised for the GoFundMe. I had never seen, I, I, I never in my life thought anybody would ever, I never thought it would cost that much money to bury my child. Mm -hmm. Exactly how much money was raised was, was exactly how much it cost us to lay him to rest. So to me, that just showed an impact of how many people showed up and how many people donated because when they knew us as a 
the family who we are always, and that's what everybody kept saying on the post is y'all are always the first family to step up and help somebody. We are so thankful we can help y'all. You know, y'all are always here helping everybody. And that was, that was the impact that we had by the end of the GoFundMe, there was $23,779 raised for a funeral. And that right there, just that, that showed an impact to me that he was loved, that people went out of their way to make sure we as a family didn't have nothing to worry about. Right. And Blake come to me and he was like, mom, I swear I will never ever fuss about you doing homeless work or helping people or doing anything. He said, because all those blessings you do finally came back in life. And I was like, Blake, I don't do that type of stuff just because that's what I think is going to happen. I was like, I help others because that's what I love doing. But that's what everybody. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's what everybody came up to me and shared with me at the funeral. A lot of these kids are not on Facebook nowadays. A lot of these kids are on Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram. Like they're on so many other social platforms. Us old school moms, we're on Facebook. And that's where we go and talk. You would not believe how many kids get on Facebook just to follow me, Mama Keisha, just because they want to hear what I have to say, just because they want to hear my message. I had got on right after Tyler had passed away, not even been a month. I hadn't even had his, I hadn't even had his celebration of life yet. And I decided I'm going to be strong, Keisha, and I'm going to go back to work and I'm going to make this happen and I'm going to get these bills paid and I'm going to get his headstone paid for and I'm going to work. Well, I got there and four customers later, I decided, no, I was not because I was just not as strong as I thought I was. Mm. So I had got on Facebook and from my store and done a Facebook live because I usually done it on Fridays anyway and told my customers what kind of deals I had and, you know, just talk to them, cut up with them. And so I'd got on there and done a Facebook live and it was shared and viewed over like six seven the one video i did at the funeral home was viewed seven thousand seven hundred and seventy seven times and then the one that i did at at the store it was like four thousand views like 70 shares so many comments nobody ever watches from my store with that many people as i was sitting there talking to people i kept watching the numbers go from 10 people, 14 people, 20 people, 30 people. And then I saw that I had the audience of like 65 people watching my live video. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, just keep talking, Keisha. So I just started going into mental health and suicide. And I had never told nobody until that point what had happened. And that's what made me so mad. That's what started it. I was in the parking lot and on my door, you know, this is something I specifically want to say a PSA to people. If somebody posts on a social platform that someone has passed away and they don't tell you how they just say we lost or someone is gone or they passed away, it's usually because they're not ready to share with how it happened. Mm. If somebody dies in a car wreck or cancer or COVID, people will be quick to share it. But if normally if you lose someone from suicide or overdosing, They don't want to share that just yet because there's a shame behind it. There's a hurt. There's something you have to deal with first before you share it with others. So I had so many people that would just message me and say, oh, my God, what happened? And I was like, oh, my God, 
I wanted to share. I went, so I had had two customers show up and they were just so rude. They were like, oh my God, when are you going to open again? Um, so what happened? And I was like, oh my God. So I had literally lost it. And this lady, this third customer showed up and she said, I just come to hug you. She said, just let me hug you and pray for you. And I lost it. She prayed over me the most beautiful prayer. And she hugged me and talked to me and just told me, she said, this is too soon. You should not be here. So I decided to go in and do that video. And I reached so many people. There were so many people watching and commenting back and talking. And that Facebook live is where everybody started messaging me. Oh my God, you reached me today. That was so moving. Keisha, thank you. So many people are listening. Your message was so beautiful. And I was like, wow, really? You know, people are listening to me. And then that's when my daughter-in-law shared with me the other day that, Hey, your video reached that person, man. Your video, my video made that girl realize what her family would go through grieving. Cause I was raw. I was screaming, crying, squalling, couldn't talk. Didn't hold back. No emotion. Like I just let it all go. And I told everybody, I said, you want to know what happened to my kid? Here's what happened. Are you happy? Are you happy to know now since you got it out of me? You finally know. It was just so rude how everybody had went about it. And they just weren't like my best friends showed up that morning to be with me. And four of my best friends didn't even know what happened. They all thought it was a car wreck. They didn't even know how my son passed away, but they never speculated. They didn't even ask me. They're like, oh, my God, Keisha, was it the car wreck in Smyrna? And I'm like, oh, my God, you don't know? And they're like, no, and we would never ask. And then when I shared what had happened, they were all shocked. Just as like, and, you know, and we still to this day are in shock. Like, it's it's just a shock. And it's, it's just something in my live video. That's what I told people. Dig. Talk. Don't be scared to push that conversation. Don't be scared to ask those questions. My only fear as a mom at that moment was that gun being in the house. I didn't want to push those conversations because we'd already caught him with a gun once. And we'd already had a moment with him with that gun. We'd already talked to him about it. So I didn't want there to be a second time. So we just didn't push those conversations. But and in all honesty, also, Tyler was drinking. Tyler was 21 years old. He was living it up. He was, you know, drinking, drinking, drinking. And that 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 comes over you. Drinking is the whole different ball game. When you mix drinking and depression and different things like that. It is a disaster. It is a whole different ball game. Um, you got because today we celebrate my oldest son being three years sober. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And see, the, the spectrums there are so uh, there's a grand gap between, you know, that sobriety conversation and then those, like you just said, uh, the, the the problematics that can come from a lot of different elements, such as mental health and drinking and all kinds of stuff. Um, that's a whole, whole whole can of worms we can get into. Also, um, you were kind of touching oh, yes. on it. You were kind of touching on it before, but. How are you and the family doing now? How are you, your emotions? Um, how have you begin to cope? Um, what's your healing like at this moment? Because we're still, I mean, this is fresh. This is two months in. 
Oh, it's very fresh. I I guess my healing is being around my other kids, like me and my daughter. It's forced us all to be any closer as if we could. I mean, Carol knows she's seen our family. She's watched my kids grow up. Our kids have literally grew up from grade school to middle school to high school together. And they wrestle together. And, you know, our kids have been friends. So it's like... I guess that like I've always been that mom on Sunday afternoon. I got in the kitchen and cooked and I was always Mama Keisha. So at his funeral, this was a wholly different thing. Also, how we are as a family. I didn't let a preacher speak at his funeral. And I took my son to church one last time. Um, We had his viewing at my church, the experience community in Murfreesboro. And at I didn't let a preacher speak at his funeral. I had his wrestling coach speak at his funeral. And Coach Ramsey did an amazing job speaking at Tyler's funeral because he spoke about the whole family, not just Tyler. And I guess for us as a family, how we're coping now and we're just close and in, in gatherings. That's why today I told everybody, I was like, you know, when Tyler's one month, it was one month after he had passed away. I had a celebration of life at my store and I had food and because I just wanted to bring those kids in because everybody's grieving in different ways. And it's not just his family that's grieving. Tyler had a lot of friends. Like there are so many kids that he Snapchatted every day and had conversations with and talked to and was around. So it was like, there's a lot of people that are affected by it, not just us. Um, but us as a family, I think how we're doing better is we all just are together. We, we, we are around each other more. We FaceTime a lot more. We get together and do dinners. Um, that's what's helping us right now is just spending more time, but we're all an emotional wreck. We all have our, our days. It's, it's never going to be easy. They tell us it's just going to get harder. You know, it'll, it'll never go away. You, you'll always have that experience. You'll always, um, go through the emotions that come along with it. Do you think it'll get harder? I, I personally, I, I don't know if harder would be the word that I would use, but you'll you'll always know that it's there. Um, oh, yes. I, I do, But yeah. Do you do you personally think it's going to get harder? Well, I don't know if I think it's going to get harder. It's kind of hard to say because in that same everybody grieves different. I yeah, have very. grieved so different than other people because everybody's like, you're so strong. You know, my kids all got together and they were like, hey, um, we know mom's going to flip out, end up in a psychiatric ward or something. So who's she going to live with when she comes out of it? Like, we're going to flip a coin and who's going to take care of mom? Because we know she's going to be a basket case. And then when I didn't turn it, when I spoke at my son's funeral, because I was the last one to speak. And then my mother spoke. People were amazed. They were like, how did you hold it together? I knew there was a message that had to be told. I had that many kids in an area together that were grieving and going through the same thing. I did not want to attend another funeral. So I wanted to get the message out there that there are going to be kids grieving over losing Tyler. And I want them to reach out to me. I want them to reach out to Kaylee. I want them to reach out to us because even though we're grieving, we, you know, as Christians and as others, if we're going to love others, we have to love them as we love ourselves. We have to put our grief aside and be there for others. And I think that's kind of what we've done is we've just all been together as a family and we try to reach out and be there for others because we weren't the only one that was close to him. And we were his family and we were the main ones. But, man, he was so loved. I mean, he re- he changed a woman's life 
the morning, he, the day he passed away. I had a lady reach out to me and tell me that um, she was so thankful that she had met Tyler, that she had showed up where he worked that morning to get her oil changed. And Tyler was running late for work. And as always, he's running late for work. She said as soon as he got there and unlocked and she said as soon as he opened that bay door at the place, he worked at Mobile One, she said she saw the brightest blue eyes and the prettiest smile she had ever seen. And this young kid with the bro drive forward. She said he was the most sweetest, most pleasant young man she had ever come across. And she said, I would have never thought he was suffering. She said, he changed my day. She said, I was having a bad day. She said, I was hating life. She said, but ma'am, after I met your son and he changed my oil, she said, he not only changed my oil, he changed my life. And I was like, oh my God. And then the night he passed away, a young lady reached out to me in the apartments and she's like, oh my God, is this Tyler? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh my God, are you his mom? She's like, oh my God, he changed my life. She's like, your son's smile and them pretty blue eyes. And I was like, you know, it was, it was a second. It was just to hear those stories about how Tyler changed their life or how Tyler made them feel. And it's just like all the weight he carried on his shoulders from helping others plus all the weight he had on his shoulders but man he carried a smile and you never knew it but he hid behind the drinking and we just we didn't say nothing we all tried to come at him in a different perspective because like i said my oldest son blake today we celebrate he's three years sober and he had called me yesterday and he was like, mom, he's like, I don't even know if I'm excited about it. I don't even know if I'm happy about it. And I'm like, yeah, you gotta be, man. I was like, this is something to be great about. I was like, you can't be upset about that. I was like, Tyler was proud of you. Tyler was proud of you that you could go somewhere with us and not drink and us drink, you know, us have a drink around you and you'd be strong enough to not drink. That's hard. And I've learned through my pastor here recently, that's wrong. If we're around him, we should not be drinking around him. We should not be his stumbling block. So I've been convicted by my own trials and things. And just the thing with Tyler is just, he was just so happy and he just affected so many people. And when I was touching on earlier about Facebook, there are just so many young kids that get on Facebook and I can share a post and those kids are on it, sharing it, commenting, messaging me. There's not a day goes by that one of them don't message me. Hey, mama, how are you doing? Are you okay today? And I love it because I feel like it's Tyler reaching out to me. I feel like it's Tyler going through them to be like, hey, you know, hit my mom up, you know, make sure she's okay. So I feel like he's watching over me at every aspect because there's just certain little signs I'll get. And I'm just, I know it's him watching over me. Well, and I, and I think faith has a lot to do with how you get through things. And that thought right there that he is watching over you. I have no doubt about that at all. Keisha, none. He's watching over you, Blake, Nick, Kayleigh all of you, as well oh, as yes. all of your extended family, oh, because you have a vast, right. You've got a, you've got a vast extended family. Oh yes. <laughs> yes, well, we do. And we are blessed by that. And, and I think that's what helps you get through it. I think where we talked earlier about 
you know, God has a reason for everything. He's got a plan. Um, mm-hmm. And I think your being here tonight and being on Facebook and being open to the young people is a testament to how you are probably able to deal with some of that grief as good as Tyler was to everybody. You're carrying mm-hmm. that on. Oh, yes. I feel I feel like that's where I'm getting it from, because I have been strong at times when others are like, oh, my God, you know, and the same thing for my daughter. I look at her and I'm like, how are you so strong to start back into school? She's starting back into her junior year in college, you know, graduating next year. So it's like she's starting that she's back at work. Blake's back at work. And I was like, ah. I still have my store and I still have that, but I cannot physically get up and promise to be somewhere every day. I thought that I could, but there are days my feet can't even hit the floor. Like I'll try to get up and I'll feel like I'm going to have a good day. And I shared a post on Facebook the other day. Grief is like a thief in the night. It comes and it steals your joy in any type of moment where you feel like you should even be happy, it's just like it sneaks up and it's like, nope, well, not that moment. You're not going to have that. You're just going to lay here. And, and then I'm, I'm just one of those people that I'm a go getter. I'm a hard worker. And Tyler loved that. Tyler loved that I had a food bank. He loved that I helped other people. And so to me, I feel like staying busy is what helps me. But these last couple of days, I've, it slowed me down a little bit. Um, but that's kind of where the healing comes for me is talking to other people, helping other people. And it's crazy. In the last six months, I cannot tell y'all how many people that I have met that have lost a child. I mean, seriously, like I just met a man in my store, not even five days before I lost Tyler and he had lost his son. He had heard me talking and he was from, um, his name is John. He's from Ireland. I mean, from Scotland, and he had this accent, and he was walking around my store, and he heard me talking about helping people and doing things, and he come up, and he said, um, he said he's going to come back and talk to me, and he had this strong accent. Well, I, I had said, huh, just because I wanted to hear him talk again, and he got to talking to me, and he was like, you help people because you're broken. He's like, you help the homeless, and you help this person. He's like, because you're hurting inside, and you want somebody to help you, and I was like, huh? And he was just, he had shared with me that he had just lost his son years before. And then I had met another friend that had just lost their child. And my oldest son, Blake, his girlfriend, Emily, she lost her, her brother four years ago. And like I was saying earlier, the kid Dylan that lives with me, that was his twin brother. And Dylan had come to live with me two years ago because he couldn't live with anybody else. He couldn't get along with family. He had lived with eight other relatives and he couldn't get along with Blake. They would butt heads. And so they were like, mom, we're going to kick him out. He's going to have nowhere to go. And I'm like, oh no, I advocate for the homeless. You can't make him homeless. Like, no, you can't do that. Send him to live with me. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah. And my mom's like, oh, no, no, sit down, sisters. You're going to read the book of Revelations first. And I'm like, okay. So I did. So it's, it's crazy that we... And Emily's mom, I'm very close with Emily's mom and she lost a son. And it, what was so crazy about that is being around Emily and Blake and Dylan is they've already lost a brother and she's already, you know, she's already lost a son and to be around them, they already know the grief and what we're walking through. 
And she sat me down and she said, sister, it don't get no better. <laughs> she said, I promise you. She said, it gets no easier. She said, you just learn to live without them. She said, you just learn new ways. But I had to learn that I was going to be a new me, that I was not going to be no longer the old me, that I was not going to be the Keisha before June 12th. I was not going to be the same Keisha I was on June 11th. June 13th, there was a different Keisha and I had to come to terms with that. And I think that was one of the hardest things. Like even today, before this happened, we go to Walmart because we're having this huge dinner tonight and celebrating Tyler's life. And I literally have a complete come apart. Maybe it was the mask. Maybe it was everybody at Walmart, but I was like, Oh my God, I can't even go into Walmart no more. This is crazy. So we're all learning new things that we're all coping with. Like we're all learning different things of how we all have to deal with it in life oh exactly it's it's very hard it's very very hard at times well part of the importance of this show is for the same things that Keisha is telling everybody you know this is not just something that happens um People all across the country are dealing, especially with COVID, has got everybody on edge. And I've got some stats. Um, Country-wise and Tennessee-wise, and one of the things that sticks out now through this conversation, 50% of mental illness begins by age 14. 50%. Oh, yes. And 75% by age 24. You started to say, Keisha? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I can, I can, I can totally agree with those two. I can, yeah. I know. Once you were talking about Tyler's history, that popped right out. I'm like, you know what? This is why we're reaching out. We want people to hear this message because you're not alone. And there are people here mm-hmm. willing to sit down and talk to you. It can be anonymously. You know, in our PSAs, we've given out, um, we've got multiple ways that you can contact Brandon and I through the Real Solution podcast. Um through the internet, through Facebook, it says that 986,000 adults in Tennessee alone have a mental health condition. That's more than five times the population of Knoxville. That's just the state of Tennessee. One out of every eight. Yeah. Do a little statistics if you can today or at some point. Um, I live in Smithville, Tennessee, and we're supposedly ranked number one in the nation for suicide. If you look up the statistics of our county, of our little town of Smithville, Alexandria, Liberty and Dowtown, we are ranked number one in the nation for suicide. And we are also ranked number one in the nation for meth. So it runs hand in hand. And when I reached out about when I reached out about Tyler and what happened, so many people in my town reached out to me because it's so it's so big up there. It happens all. I mean, it's so I had so many people reach out to me in my town alone, just telling me that in the I had someone come in. They're like, Keisha, do you know why your message was so powerful? And I was like, no, they're like, do the, do the statistics. And they told me that Smithville was ranked number one. And I started looking it up and I was like, wow, you know, it's mental health 
issues is the elephant in the room. Just like they say, sex trafficking is an elephant in the room. Mental health is something that nobody wants to talk about because nobody wants to have that cliche that you're not saying there's something wrong with you or you're bipolar or, you know, she's not right in the head or they're not right in the head. It's the stigma of thinking something's wrong with you. So everybody wants to say, no, I'm okay. I'm all good. I'm good. Don't worry about me. I'm good. I'm good. And Everybody needs to talk about it. And I encourage people. I tell people all the time, dig, talk to your friends, ask them when they say I'm fine. Be like, because when my, when my girls tell me mm, I'm fine, girl, I'm like, mm, no, you ain't. What's wrong? Well, come on, tell me what's wrong. <laughs> They'd be like, how do you know? I'm like, I don't know. It's just something in me. Let me know you need to talk. And I, I don't know. I guess I kind of have that in me. I've also been a 13 year bartender. So I've had conversations with all walks of life and I know when people need to talk. And if you've ever been in a bar situation, a bar is a hurt is a place. It's a hospital for the hurting and they don't feel like they're good enough to go to church. They come somewhere. If you ever do the statistics of alcohol, it's cheaper to sit home and drink. You don't got to get a DUI and a six pack is $8. You're going to have three beers in a bar and you're going to pay $8 almost per beer. So it's cheaper to stay home. So that's what I try to get to people, people that go out and have a good time. And that's where drinking goes hand in hand. You're out having a good time. A majority of those people that are out drinking, having a good time are on some type of medicine for mental health. How? And that's where it goes. That's why I can't drink because a majority of my life I was on mental health medicine and I knew to choose. I tried that for a while. I had had my little tribe drinking alcohol and taking the medicine and it doesn't work. You can't do that. Well, and one of the statistics, alcohol is involved in over a quarter of all suicides in the U.S. It's approximately accounts for 7,500 suicides per year. And it says more than one third of suicide victims use alcohol just prior to death. Yep. Tyler, we haven't got the toxicology report yet. His his case has not been closed due to COVID, you know, this crazy little mess that's going around. So his case has not been closed. So I, I don't really know, but I, we knew Tyler drank. That was not an issue. We, we were all trying to go at it and talk to him and just not push him overboard. We didn't want to go at him and drill him like I wanted to be that supportive mom to be like hey dude i got your back you know don't worry and we were we were that family like <laughs> we joke about cash app my kids got me to download cash app a while back and tyler <laughs> always like mom cash app me some money and so after tyler passed away we got as a go- going joke because i'm like oh my god i'm gonna miss cash app in him you know because he'd always be like mom i'm hungry cash app me some money so i cash app him some money and i'm like is this for alcohol or food tyler he'd be like come on mom it's for food i'm like all right <laughs> so we got to looking up at our money. We're like, Oh my God, we cashed out to him all the time, you know? And I, I told him, I said, the last time we sat down and had dinner, we'd went out to Mexican and he had drank and he sat down and drank two margaritas. And I'm like, Tyler, man, come on, dude, you don't need to be drinking like that. And he's like, come on, mom, I just enjoy it. And I'm like, all right. And it was just that, you know, I didn't want to be that. I have never, I'm that mom that my kids call me Keisha. My kids don't call me mom. I'm, I'm that cool with them. Like I got so tired of hearing the word mom growing up. I was like, look, they started calling me by Keisha and I finally started answering because I was so tired of hearing the word mom. <laughs> but Tyler was pretty much the only one that called me mom. He hated when they called me Keisha. And I just didn't want to be that. 
I, people always say you don't want to be your kid's friend. You want to be their parent. I don't believe that. I want You need to be both. Because if your kids don't feel comfortable enough to talk to you, they're not going to tell you everything. My kids felt comfortable enough to tell me pretty much everything. There wasn't nothing that Tyler didn't talk about that I didn't know about or I didn't find out. He didn't tell one of his brothers and they didn't come back and tell me. And they would always get so mad at each other. Why you tell mom? Why you tell mom? So they'd always be like, don't tell mom. It's just, it was the going thing. Don't tell mom. But I would always seem to find out. So, you know, it's not that I didn't know what was going on. Um, well, I think sometimes I I had a cousin. This has been eighteen years ago. She suffered from manic depression, um, probably some post traumatic stress disorder. But back that long ago, that really wasn't even a term yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but she she was. I, you know, I still cannot wrap my hand my head around it to this day. Because, you know, it's one thing when you just do something spur of the moment. Mm -hmm. She had enough cognitive faculties about her. She sent the kids to school. She sat down and they were in elementary and middle school. And her mom was living with her and her husband and the kids at the time. And, um... She sat down at the table. She wrote a letter to an individual letter, one to each of her sons, one to her husband and one to her mother, and then took the gun and went down to the creek and shot herself. Mm. And like one of the things that resonated with what you said, you know, it gets to the point, I think they just are tired tired depression is such a battle and Mm -hmm. this says that one in five americans has a mental health condition and 12.8 millions of adults live with a severe mental illness Mm -hmm. i mean it's got anxiety disorders major depression Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, post-traumatic, bipolar, borderline personality disorder, and schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. This is a lot of people that are affected by mental wellness. And it's like... You know, and and people can say, oh, it has a lot to do with your childhood and growing up. And it does. That's where it comes from, because there's always that slogan in order to repair. You never want to have to repair a child when they're older. Like as I sit back and look at my kids now, I think, wow, you know, I probably shouldn't have yelled at them like that. Like I look at certain things like I really wish I wouldn't have had to stress about keeping the house clean. I tell moms all the time, hey, man, cut a break on your kids. Like let some things go. Don't ride some things. And people are like, oh, they grew up in this great home with great parents. And no, we grew up in a stressful home. I was a single mom trying to make it work, trying to make four kids not become a part of the jail system, trying to work around that and just being a single mom, period, much less bring a single mom to four three boys and a daughter and it just life life can beat anybody down and I I think that's where people are just scared to talk about it because everybody is so scared of the stigmatism like 
I have had so many friends and people not even know that I was labeled bipolar because I didn't tell people. I had friends that I were around for years that never even knew nothing. I took medicine, anything. And then there are some friends that knew my innermost everything. And they knew about my medicine. They knew about everything. And it's just like, it's, it's sad that I didn't feel, even I didn't feel like I could tell certain people. And now that I've watched what I went through with my son and I've, and what we're going through now, I'm like, I don't care who knows. I was batshit crazy before and I'm even crazier now. Like I even know my temperament has changed. Death and grief will do something different to you that depression. I have to say, I have to say that depression and grief are two totally, totally different situations. Like depression, it's a weight and it's like a state of mind. Grief is just like, it's, it's so different. I, I can, I can say I've experienced both now. I've, I've suffered with depression and now, and I, you know, I, I can say, uh, I can't say I overcame depression or whatever. I don't know how you would say it. I didn't struggle as bad. I wasn't on medication. I was dealing with life. I was doing things. I was dealing with life in my own way, trying to make my own way through it. But I, I can't say that I was really depressed or I had been depressed until grief. Like I had reasons to cry about and stuff to be stressed over, but nothing to nothing to not get me out of the bed. I was up out of the bed every day going and doing. And now that this has happened, like Thursdays, I'm in my pajamas at I don't even get out of them. <laughs> I don't even leave the bed. And and that's what's been hard on me here lately is I'm not that type of person. I've always been a strong willed go getter, work all the time, own my own business, do my own thing. And it's it's definitely set me down this time. Well, and I think a lot, you know, the medical profession itself had, and our wonderful insurance companies had a lot to do with the deterioration of mental health care because mm -hmm. they labeled if you had been treated for that and then you something happened, a death, whether it was by suicide or not, became scrutinized mm -hmm. and insurance companies withheld payments because of it. So oh, yes. people were afraid to get mental health help. No, nobody can know because if they do, then if something happens to me, my family's not taken care of. And so like everything else, Brandon, we turned it into political things. As always. <laughs> but it, it's sad. It's true. It, it's true though. In suicide, um, insurance does not cover. It does not cover anything. If they find out if you have life insurance and someone takes their life by suicide, there is, it's not covered. You do not get that money. Your life insurance policy is void. I know because we had it happen to a friend. Um, they didn't get a life or someone had took in their life and they had an extremely high life insurance policy and the life insurance policy was void and null because they took their life and it was not. I mean, that's crazy. That is just the craziest. Yeah. That the craziest thing ever. Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I hope anyone that's listening um, and heard this story, when somebody commits suicide, 
it's not that person that continues to suffer the entire family your whole network so please if you are thinking about hurting yourself you have those thoughts reach out to someone um here later on before we close tonight we'll give you those um numbers that you can call as um brandon and i have said you know what we're uh, we answer all of our messages via facebook twitter um i guess he does instagram i don't know how to use it um (laughs) even our website there's a place to leave comments and if you're afraid to reach out to us in a public format by all means use our website send us a comment an email address or a phone number where we can reach out to you. Um, our phone number, it, which is my cell phone number. Um, I do answer it. Um, if it is a number that I do not recognize, leave your name. I'll call you back. And I, I'd like to reach out there and say that as well. Um, I w- Exactly. Reach out to anybody. But I just want to tell you that if you're out there and you're hurting, please, please, from a mother's perspective, do not be scared to reach out. I don't care who you reach out to. My name is Keisha Payton. You spell it K-I-E-S-H-A-P-A-Y-T-O-N. You can reach out to me on Facebook. You can. My phone number is published. Um, I've had the same phone number for 20 years for that reason. And my kids can all memorize my phone number by heart. They can tell you my phone number. And that's just a great thing. But I just want to tell people, reach out, please. Don't be scared to reach out because I think that's what happens is people get scared to reach out. They get scared to ask for help. They're scared how somebody's going to look at them. Don't be scared, man, because you never know. Somebody, there's always going to be somebody that's going to want to help you and talk to you always. Well, exactly. And and depression in Tennessee is the number one leading cause of disability mm-hmm. in the well, this is in in the world. Mental illness costs Americans one hundred and ninety three point two billion dollars in lost earnings per year. So you're by no means the only one on an island by yourself. There are many, many people, you know, we may not be here to fix anything for you. That's not what we want to do for you. Mm-hmm. We want to be here to listen to you. We want to be here to help you find your way through this fog. And that's what it is. You just want to make sure that, you know, I, th- I think that's what happens is, you know, and, and just other people that I've talked to, they're like, we're scared to talk to people. You know, we're scared how we're going to be looked at. Don't please do not. Because. This is the saying that some people don't understand. I was hurting a lot here this this week. Like a lot of things were hurting me. And so many people reached out to me and it helped me. Like when they reached out to me with their pain and with their hurt, it helped me work through mine because hearing how they hurt and how they went through things, it, it helped me understand mine. And it, it's like it helps. So I don't want people to be scared to reach out. And I think that's what happens in a lot of people. They're scared um, that they'll call and they won't, you know, somebody won't be receptive. Man, hit me up. I'll talk to you. I'll message you. I'll, I, you know, because yeah, this, 
this this statistic I have, it says only four in 10 people in the state of Tennessee with a mental health condition received any treatment in the past year. And so we want to see that number go up. You know, theoretically, let's go from four in 10. Let's make our next goal six in 10 and then eight in 10. Well, I'd I'd love to start out that way, but we all know it's going to, it it takes it takes time. And so mm-hmm. if we can get people to reach out to each other, that's what community is all about, ladies yes. and gentlemen. We're all supposed to be here, and especially in this time of our, you know, COVID and uh, protests and riots. And there has been a lot more suicides since COVID, and it's sad because it's isolation. It's it's keeping sure. people. There was a story I read just a couple of days after I had, the, the the child had passed away before my son, but a twelve year old little boy had hung himself and his father said COVID is what took his son's life because he couldn't have conversation. He was stuck in isolation and home. And, you know, there are so many kids that have reached out and said, they're so tired of being at home. They're so tired of being stuck in a house away from people. And that's, that isolates them. And, you know, not ever other kids most kids are stuck home in bad situations most kids their safe haven is school so they want to get back to school they want to get back to the swing of things well and i just i read a statistic i want to say that it said um reporting of domestic violence and child abuse has dropped 12 percent because you're stuck within that environment Um, any thoughts, Brandon? I mean, the the statistics are there. (laughs) Um, you know, what I will say is mental health is, um, but what I was saying is that mental health, it, it goes beyond suicide, which I think both of you have, have touched on this evening, um, which is something I wanted to make sure we got to, because there are so many things that play into mental health, both healthy and unhealthy. Um, and so, you know, accountability, accountability, excuse me, is important from the people around you. It's not just a, hey, how are you? How are things going? Um, you know, sometimes and you have an instinct when someone is going through something or they're not giving you what they need. And I'm thankful myself personally that I have people that will be like, you know what? I see through the bullshit. What is wrong with you? Carol herself being one of them. And she's like, nah, something ain't right. What's wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So, um, I, I really hope everyone knows that mental health isn't just suicide you know though they have connections it's a lot of different things and you know what the psychologist and everything psychological will break it down for you there's so many ways that they describe it you have this type of depression and this type of mental health issue that's all fine and well but we know that it exists and whatever way that it exists within you is you have to be able to have people around you and yourself and do your own if you can uh to to help heal yourself um you know i i I am very passionate about you know and i've shared this with carol about um 
like living circumstances and homelessness around people who are college age. Um, I've experienced that. I've experienced struggling with my mental health because of the stress of being a working adult and a full-time college student and figure out where am I going to live? So, you know, it's not just a suicide situation. You know, there are other elements in our lives that get us to the point of not being healthy uh, in our mental health. So I, I'm so glad we touched on that this evening. Well, and that kind of brings me back. We did a, an interview with Judge Joe Atwood. Um, was that last month? I believe it was where we talked about compassion from the bench. And I bring that up because this statistic, about two million people with mental illness are booked into jails every year <laughs> and many because they didn't get the treatment that they needed. And that was one of the things that she said about um, serving as judge that she wants to get to the root of some of this. What brought you in front of her to begin with? And so this may be something, you know, that we can follow up with Judge Joe and say, what kind of things can can we do in the community? Yeah, there's definitely some there's a lot of opportunity here for us to follow up on for sure. Yeah, just um, like Brandon said with it with the whole college thing, it starts there too. Like I have met so many young people in that situation that not just suicide, just the depression part of just being struggling and and not having nowhere to live. Like when I said I fed with the homeless, you would not believe that a majority of the college kids slept in their car and had nowhere to go. They had nowhere to shower, no way to get clean clothes and no way to eat because they were struggling. Oh, absolutely. There, there are so many underlying elements that we go through in our life and our life cycle that uh, impact someone's mental health. It's not just always I hear the voices in my head and I want to kill myself. You know, that's what a societal mainstream perception is. Uh, we don't wish that upon anyone, but it's it's more than that. And so I, I think um I think definitely communities now and individuals are starting to realize it goes beyond that, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, Keisha, I want to give you the biggest thank you for joining us this evening. You have not only shared your story and the story of your family, but you've actually touched on a lot of important subtopics that go into someone's life experience. And I hope that we can continue these conversations um, because they impact us in in more ways than just mental health and uh, suicide and suicide prevention. So on behalf of the Real Solution podcast, we want to thank you so much again for joining us and for sharing your information story with us. Um, Before we go, is there anything you want to leave the listeners with? with where they can find you reach out to you anything that you have going on yes as i've touched on in this a lot um i have a place in alexandria that i purchased and it is called peyton's place of grace and compassion and as carol said a minute ago when you say compassion from the bench i think if that word was just spread a little bit more in the world it would be better off compassion is one of the main things that i try to talk about that's why i name everything i have a cleaning company as well called compassion cleaning but you can find me on facebook uh 
Um, I have my dig store. It's called $5 Dig Deals and Liquidation. I have Peyton's Place of Grace and Compassion. I have just Keisha Peyton uh, at gmail.com. And I also have a page on there that I have set up in the memory of my son. It's called Fly High Tata and Long Live Tata, Fly High Tata. And it's a page that I set up for people to come talk and share. And, you know, if I put a lot of inspirational posts on there for if somebody's having a bad day, maybe I can cheer them up. So if you're out there and you need somebody to talk to and you need somebody to reach out, please reach out. Please contact me any way you can on any of the platforms you can. It is K-I-E-S-H-A-P-A-Y-T-O-N. And everybody calls me Mama Keisha. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, everyone, remember this month, we are definitely highlighting uh, the conversations centered around mental health and suicide prevention, um, specifically the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which can be reached at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255, as well as via the web at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Of course, your lovely redhead and myself are always available as she stated before uh any of our social media platforms um emails however if you need to or have someone that you want to reach out to um through us we'll be more than happy to help guide you to those resources well also let me add with the suicide prevention lifeline um, their website is suicidepreventionlifeline.org. In addition to the phone number and the texting, they also have a chat feature. So for those who are very um, not wanting to speak with somebody um, because of emotions or whatever, they do have a chat feature and it is on that website as well. The FCC has designated 988. It will be the new nationwide number, um, kind of like 911, but this will be for mental health and suicide issues. So in it is um, scheduled to be complete and nationwide by July 2022. So that at that point, all you have to do will be to dial that pre-designated number. Um, so that's something that they are working on because they see the importance of being able to get to somebody quickly. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yes, that is awesome. Well, guys, we thank you so much for tuning in with us for another episode of the Real Solution Podcast. Remember to keep your minds healthy. And by all means, if you need to reach out, definitely do so. This world is not easy, but one thing it can be is a whole lot of love. So we will see Amen. you. I love you guys. <laughs> Keisha, thank you again. Our lovely redhead. I look at you being nice this episode. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> um, um, to Keisha. It was in honor oh, of Keisha. Wow. Oh, thank you. You know girl. what? I will let that one slide. <laughs> Guys, we will see you next time on yet another episode of the Resolution Podcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.